My name is Rasan Barber, and I'm very happy to be the vice president for the Tennessee Jazz and Blues Society that is putting on this event. It's the uh, sessions at Steinway, which you know because you're here. Today, I am really, really excited. I actually uh, had this idea to start doing these interview series to allow the jazz artists that are in this town to tell their story because there's not enough outlets for them to do so. And I haven't been able to be in town on a Saturday. And so very selfishly, uh, when I found myself actually in town for today, I, in picking the artist, I kind of uh, made a selfish decision and said, I'm going to pick an artist that uh, since the first time I heard her perform absolutely fascinates me. Um, there's always many gigs going on in Nashville and always people to go see. And any chance uh, I get where I'm in town and Dara Tucker is performing, I'm there. Uh, I can count holidays. I remember spending Valentine's Day with the Dara Tucker band. At, um, down on Jefferson Street at the Garden Brunch Cafe. Uh, it, it seems that there's a magnetism about the depth of her artistry that you're going to find out more about in this hour. And I'm very happy to introduce, please welcome Dara Tucker. So I've got a cheat sheet of questions that I'm going to set. I'm going to pull this over. We always say this is like talking jazz in your living room, and so hopefully uh, it's an engaging conversation, but comfy. Um, where did your journey with music start? Well, it started, like a lot of folks, it started in the church. It started um, with my, my parents, who were uh, ministers and singers, songwriters. And uh, yeah, that's where, I, that's where I got my start. And being music ministers, was, was music a big part of your life outside of the church as well, in the home? Was that, what is your normal, what oh, is yeah. the normal week of that? I mean, we, <laughs> we sang in the car, I had six brothers and sisters, and so it, it was, you know, potentially, it could get very loud around the house or on long car rides, we traveled a lot. So my father got into this habit of having us sing everywhere we went. So if we would start, you know, start messing with each other, then he would start a song, you know, some praise song or whatever, because he was, he was always the music minister at whatever church he was stationed at. So he would start a praise song, and we would all start singing along with him, and my mother kind of started us, uh, uh, the three oldest girls, me and my two older sisters, out singing harmony, singing three-part harmony. So, um, yeah, it just kind of, it was everywhere, it was ubiquitous. You're talking, and I'm flashing back to my old, my older brother and my twin brother being in the kitchen at my mom's house. Um, I feel like there's a lot of common ground uh, there. Was there something about getting into music with the family that kind of gives you a different sense or a different approach towards making music now? Well, I started, I think, with a with an awareness of harmony that I don't think a lot of people necessarily start with. So that's that was something that was actually more comfortable for me than improvisation. It was more comfortable for me even the melody. I was always the soprano, so I was usually singing the melody, but I was always very aware of what my sister's parts were. And then our you know, younger brothers and sisters came along and they were added to the group. So you know, that being taught from, I think our first church perf perf performance, our first church experience you know, sure. singing was, I was probably four, you know, four years old. So we, being taught harmony from that Early on, I think it just, of course, it opens up your ear, ear a lot. 
and uh, gives you an acclimation that uh, it's it's just it's eternally useful. It's it's useful no matter you know what type of music that sure. you're that you're performing or writing. So going up with music ministers, my next question is, how does jazz find you, or how do you find jazz? <laughs> what what were the singers? What singers did you first hear that took you in that direction? Well, if I were to go way back to when I was 11 years old, we lived in Detroit, Michigan, and they used to run these commercials. Um, you know how the, they would run those old school commercials where they would offer a CD collection of various artists and the little uh, titles would scroll through. And, and this particular one was for Dean Martin. And I just, like, my jaw just dropped. Like, I had never really heard this kind of music That's awesome. before. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing ever. And I told my... my um, younger brother, he's um, not even a year younger than me, that Dean Martin was my favorite singer. And he laughed. He How thought that was the most, I was 11. And That's he, awesome. yeah, he thought it was the most hilarious thing. And he went and told my whole family and I, they just, man, they talked about me so bad yeah. for so long. But you know, that was, that was early on. And I, later on, I ended up kind of getting more into like Mel Torme and Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald and you know, some folks like that. My early influences really tended to be, to be men. Um, the Four Freshmen was a favorite yeah. group in the McGuire Sisters, like anything with rich harmonies. Because I technically we weren't actually supposed to be listening to this music. <laughs> right. So it was a matter of, you know, you hear the stories of people shoving radios up under the pillow, and that that was me, you know, just trying to get some little um, nuggets Except of the music. Except when you were shoving a radio pillow, it was Dean Martin and Mel Torme. Exactly. <laughs> Sneaking and listening unique. to the Manhattan Transfer. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. you can imagine it. Yeah. Um, is there is there a song from that part of your life or from those singers that you that you would gravitate towards now or that you perform now that kind of reaches back to that influence? Well, a, so a song that we actually put on the current album, "The Nearest of You," um, was one that I learned from Mel Torme. So, I mean, his version to me is the quintessential version, but it's one of those songs that's so beautiful, um, but it doesn't feel untouchable. So I was kind of willing to, to dabble with it a little bit myself. And if you heard his version, you'd probably hear some of what I do in, in that version. But Can we hear some of what you do with that version? Absolutely. This, uh, this interview series is kind of patterned on Inside the Actor's Studio, which is I'm obsessed with this show. Um, and the cool part about jazz and being in the moment is that rather than show footage or show a movie, we get to actually see the band. Uh, and see it in action. So, you've got. Tell us who you've got with you today. I've got some really, really keen folks with me. Joe Davidian is on piano. This guy is a, a beast. I call him Mad Dog, Joe Davidian, because when he really gets going, it's it's just it's unbelievable. I don't know if he's going to unleash his full power on you today, but uh, he's. Uh, Extremely competent, Joe Davidian. Then, of course, on bass, we have the watchman, the manager, the overseer, Mr. Greg Bryant. <laughs> he says the gopher. <laughs> and if we had a drummer, his name would be Neoshi Jackson. Ah, welcome, right on cue. <laughs> Neoshi Jackson on drums. I think we're going to do the nearest. When I'm in your arms And I feel you So close to me All my wildest dreams 
come true It's not the pale moon that excites me that thrills and delights me oh no it's just the nearness of you that brings this sensation oh no it's just the nearness of you and when I'm
Feeling the night. 